Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. Part four of this series, The God I Wish You Knew, and this may be the last one. Uh, next week, actually, you guys have a treat. Uh, John Berrigan, you know, from Church Renewal, is coming here, and for the message, is going to share him and Lorraine have a powerful testimony, uh, what God has done in their life, tremendous suffering, a tremendous testimony of God working in a life, and that'll be the message next week, is him sharing his testimony and, uh, and lessons that God has shown him and Lorraine through their testimony. You're going to be blown away, so you don't want to miss next week. So this might be the last uh, message, or if I can't figure something out in the, out, else out in the next two weeks, we'll just keep going with this uh, after John Bergen is back. But we're doing the God I Wish You Knew, and we looked at God as our deliverer, and God is faithful, and last week uh, we looked at, uh, what did we look at last week? God is, what was that? Gentle and lowly of heart, that's right, thank you. Um, more and more, the older I get, I find when, I, when the spotlights come on, the brain just uh, is gone. Um, but uh, it's hard for me to remember things. I was talking to someone else recently. He said whenever they public speak, they lose all their ability to do math. Now, for, I don't have to do much math on stage, so that's fine with me. But anyway, the God I wish you knew, part four, God is near. I want to talk today about the fact that God is uh, near. He's near to us. This is part of his characteristics and part of what he wants you to know. But before we get to the fact that God is near, we have to talk about the, uh, some core, uh, uh, you know, essential uh, truths about who God is and how he exists. Because the fact that he's near comes out of who he is. It's not just that he's near because he wants to be close by you. The fact that he is near actually comes out of the essence of who he is. And this is a very comforting, amazing truth. You'll see it by the time we get to the end of this message. But before we get to God is near, we have to understand the fact that God is relational to the core. To the very core of his being, God is a relational being. It's not just that he, he it's not, when I'm talking about here, I'm not saying that God likes relationships. He obviously loves relationships. But I'm not saying that he likes relationships. What I'm saying is he is relationships. And we see this in his existence, the Trinity. Now, most of you no doubt here have heard of the Trinity the Trinity is this word we use. It's not actually in the Bible, but it, it's just a word we use to describe something that certainly is described in the Bible. The fact that God is more than... God is not lonely. From eternity past, God has always existed as a relationship in himself because he is three persons in one God. Okay? He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's three persons in one God. He exists in relationship. This is what I mean. I don't just mean... God has a bunch of things he likes, and he likes relationships. I mean, he exists as a relationship in himself and always has for eternity. Okay, we see this right from the very beginning of Scripture. Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1, 26. I'm, I'm just getting over strep throat, by the way, so good thing you guys are a few rows back. Too bad for those of you I already talked to this morning. Um, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, this is right at the beginning of, of creation. God said this. Then God said, let us... Make man in our image, right, after our likeness. So from the very beginning of creation, God was in us. I mean, that's profound. Okay, God was never lonely. This is really important. God was never lonely, okay, in eternity past. It's not that God was, you know, for ages and ages and ages in eternity before he created us, he was very, very lonely. And then out of his loneliness, he needed to create people so that he would have someone to relate with. And he was kind of depressed and it was all dark. That is not why God created us. God did not create human beings because he needed us, thankfully, because if he needs us, we're in a lot of trouble. 
okay? God did not create us out of a need for companionship. He already was in eternal relationship within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He already was in us in an infinitely generous, exciting, loving, joyful, wonderful, intimate, infinite relationship of just pure awesomeness. And out of the amazing joy and love of that relationship, he created people as an act of just generosity. It wasn't something he needed to do. It was something that just out of the spontaneous generosity of the relationship he experiences within himself, he made us. And now we get to enter into the relationship that he has within himself. Okay, very important. Now, just to skim through a couple more uh, uh, verses in the New Testament, just to emphasize again this the Trinitarian uh, nature of God. John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning, uh, G- speaking of Jesus here, in the beginning was the Word, and he's speaking of Jesus there, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we have the Word, Jesus was always, he was in the beginning with God. He's always existed, and he was with God, though. So he was God, and he was also with God. We see this idea again of Jesus and the Father, separate persons, one God. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 Jesus makes the idea of the Trinity very clear. He says this in his charge to us. Just before he goes back to heaven, he leaves the church with a command. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus does not say to the church, Go out and talk to them just about God in general. Well, we can do that. But he's, very specifically, he says, he, Revelation about God here, we are to baptize the nations and disciple them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is this relational being, three in one. Okay? And so he was not lonely when he made us. And, and, he, and out of his relationality, so he's not just that he likes relationships, he is a living relationship. Hugely important. Okay? And out of that, he created us. He then created us to be relational beings. Okay, so Genesis 2 verse 18, the, you know, God has made the whole entire earth and universe. He has said everything is very good. It's very, very good. And, and animals are good, and Adam is good, and the sky is good, and the fish are good, and everything's good. And then he says one thing is not good. He says, and we often read this at weddings, but unfortunately this is not just about weddings. I mean, it is about marriage. But we only read this verse at weddings generally um, because it's like, well, it's not good for the man to be alone, so it's good that the, this couple is getting married. But it's actually not good for anyone to be alone. Single people, young people, old people. The Lord God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Okay, it's not good for man to be alone because we were made in the image of God, which in the same way that God himself has never been lonely, never has he ever existed in a relationship. In the same way for us as human beings, we need relationship. And you know, um, more and more these days, not even just Christians, but I mean, uh, uh, I just called him Charlie. I often mix up my son Charlie and my brother Stefan for some reason. But Stefan preached about a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's been preaching a lot lately about uh, just relationship and connecting with people and the importance of this. But more and more, he, I mean, there's, there's many books being written and authors and therapists and counselors and researchers are finding that the answer to all, you know, basically all of humanity's problems is through relationship. It doesn't matter whether it be depression or fear or anxiety or whatever, the way you help, or addictions in a young adult, or problems with a child. Uh, some of our staff were recently at a, at a fostering uh, workshop conference in the city, and they basically said a lot of the same things Stefan has been saying, but they talked about how you help these kids that are so damaged from their past, and how you help them through connecting to them and loving them. And so what we're finding, and more and more Christians and non-Christians alike, secular and non-secular alike, is we're finding that the way to make people well 
is through, now it's not just that you have a relationship with them and they're all better, there's still other things you've got to do with them, but it's in the context of relationship that we help people because we need relationship. We all need to know that someone loves me, that someone's happy to see me, that someone understands me. There's, there's nothing like, um, you know, you sit down with someone who's suffering and, you know, you can tell them, here's five reasons why people suffer logically. doesn't help them a bit, but you sit down with them, look them in the eye, and you feel with them, this is how I've suffered and then they share with you how they've suffered, and there's a connection human to human, and suddenly they're encouraged, and you haven't even told them anything good. Because it's just a connection. It's not good for man to be alone. We need this. And one of the biggest scourges today on earth is, is loneliness, and I had a bunch of stuff written there, but I, I, I want to just keep moving here. But, uh, of course, human relationships on their own are, are not enough. So, yes, even the secular world is finding out that if we can just connect people together and bring down the walls and be vulnerable with each other, we will help each other already. But we also know as believers that human relationships aren't enough. Because in the end, no human being can be with me absolutely everywhere I go. How many of you know that that's true? I mean, anybody, if you've ever been diagnosed with cancer, your loved ones, your wife, your spouse, your, your kids, people in your cell group, they can come to your bedside and pray with you, and they can, they can love you, and they can send you flowers, but ultimately nobody can go with you into that operating room, right? When you have triple bypass surgery or whatever it is, I, some of you have gone through some huge surgeries again recently, and nobody can go into that operating room with you, Right? So yes, the human relationships can help us, but ultimately, no human being can climb inside of me and feel the things I'm feeling, can go into the valley of the shadow of death with me, with me, and feel with me ultimately. And so ultimately, we still are alone to an extent. Yes, people can connect with us, and that helps a lot, but there's still a level in which your cell group can pray for you, and after the prayer meeting's over, you're really encouraged, but you still have to go home and deal with your stuff on your own. There's still a sense in which we're alone, and we actually need more, uh, more than just human beings, okay? We all need, whether we recognize it or not, to be held in the very hands of God himself to never be alone. We were actually created with this need. So we, we touch on it when we help each other. We get a taste of joy. We get a taste of healing. We get a taste of love when we as human beings love each other. But ultimately, in the end, our struggles we still ultimately have a hunger deep inside of us that can only be met by God that there are times when we still feel very alone and nobody can help us with that. And of course, again, the reason we yearn for this is because we were made by God and we were made in His image and He is never alone. That's a thing. The reason we have this craving to never be alone, I think sometimes we try to push it away because it's like, boy, that's selfish or that's just immature. The reason we have a craving to have somebody share my pain with me, to have somebody go with me through everything I go through is because we're made in the image of God. God himself is never alone, never. Because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right? And so he can never, and this is an important part of his character that he is never alone, and it's also something you need to know that he yearns for you to know as well that he will never leave you alone. This is not just something he has on his to-do list. Because of who he is and because of how he made you, he wants each of us to know that we actually are never alone. I love this verse, Isaiah 49, 15 to 16. The Lord says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these, so even a woman, I mean, any of you who's had a baby, any women or, or husbands where you, and your wife has had a baby, you know a woman can't forget a little baby, okay? 
Uh, they, they, are, they are hyper protective and loving, right? But he said, here God says, comparing himself to a woman with a baby, even if those may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. In other words, God says that it would be impossible for him to ever forget or leave you. It would be impossible for him. In fact, what a woman does with her little baby is, um, is, just, is just an example of a bigger reality of God towards us. Lots of things in life are God has designed these things to show us aspects of himself and how a woman feels about her little baby and how protective and how loving is just a small little picture of how God feels toward each of us, that he would never leave us alone, that he would never leave us unprotected. And if you go through the scripture, you will find this promise all over. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, to the Israelites, God promised this, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is a, co a consistent promise. This comes out of the character of God and how he made us. He consistently talks to us about this. Joshua 1, 5 to 9, no man, he says this to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then in the New Testament, he applies those promises to all of us as believers. Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because God is near. It's part of his character. It's not just something he likes to do. It's, it's something he is. Matthew 28, 20, I, I finish this little section with this, and Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a promise. If we can ever really grab a hold of this promise in our hearts, it would revolutionize the way we live. It would actually revolutionize it. Some of you might be sitting there today, and you're going, you're kind of yawning. Yeah, I knew all this. You can only yawn if you have this truth in the logical side of your brain, but not in the actual heart side of your brain. Because if you ever actually caught this, that you are never alone, it would absolutely change the way we look at everyday life. Absolutely change it. It would absolutely radically transform. Now, the question I want to ask next, though, is how is God with us all the time? Like He says he's with us all the time, but I don't see him. Okay? He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He himself lives in, in relationship and made us to need that, and now has promised that he would never leave us. How is he with us all the time? So right now, he's with you, he's with me, he's with us. How is he with us all the time? If we go to John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before his, his crucifixion, his disciples are a little worried, they're confused, uh, because he's been talking to them, I'm leaving you, I'm going to die, they're not totally getting it, but they're worried, this is not a pep talk, we're not happy about this, okay? And uh, why does Jesus keep talking about leaving us? But then Jesus says this, John 14, 18 to 19, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Okay, now that's, so, okay, so he's comforting them. I'm leaving you, but don't worry, I'm going to come to you. I'm leaving you, you're sad, but don't worry, I'm going to come to you and you're going to see me. Okay, how? I don't see Jesus right now. He says he's with us. He said he would come to us. He said we would see him. How is he with us? Well, if we look at just the previous verses, actually, 16 and 17, he explains exactly how it is that God himself is always with us. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
Okay, so here's, again, one of those promises. He's going to be with us forever. Notice, it's just everywhere in the Bible. This is a huge part of God's promise to us. I'm going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so here's, this is the promise. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, okay, I'm going to go away, and actually, just a little bit later in the same talk, he says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away, because right now, I'm with you, but, but you know, sometimes he wasn't with them. Like, I mean, he would send them ahead to do stuff. They would go into different towns. He, he was physically close, but he wasn't actually with them every moment of every day. He says, actually, to your advantage that I leave, because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and he's going to dwell with you and be inside of each one of you, and then you, you'll always have me with you. So how is God with us? He's like, great, God is near. He says he's with us all the time. How is God with us? He's with us in that he has sent his Holy Spirit to actually live inside of each of us that has given our lives to Jesus. Now, unfortunately, again, some of you are yawning. You're going, oh, the Holy Spirit. That was what this whole promise was about? See, because a lot of us have this subconscious thing that the Holy Spirit is inferior to Jesus and the Father. Isn't that true? Like a lot of us, if I said, Jesus is going to actually come and be on stage here today, this place would be packed out. Like Jesus came and told me he's going to physically come on stage. And, and by the way, I would be here early too, okay? Jesus is actually going to be physically here, be here on stage with us. This is going to be awesome. Everybody be pumped. We would all be here. But when Jesus says, actually, it's to your advantage that I leave because the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you, come here and hear a message about how the Holy Spirit is actually living inside of you. We go, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, parents, when we try to convince our kids that something less is actually just as good as, you know, you had promised them you were going to go to the pool, but it didn't work out. So you say, hey, kids, I know we promised you we'd go to the pool, but, but you know what? Instead, you all get to have a bath tonight. Woo! Woo! <laughs> and the kids are like, yeah? You know, we promised you we'd take you to the movies tonight, but it, ugh, sorry, guys, we broke our promise. It just didn't work out. And, 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 and so, but instead, Daddy's going to read you a bedtime story tonight. This is kind of how we feel, right? Oh, yeah. So the disciples, so Jesus like, guys, I'm leaving you, but you get the Holy Spirit. Yeah? We would rather you just actually stayed with us. Right? We'd rather you just have to stay with us. But the reason we have this is because we don't actually stop to think the Holy Spirit is God. He's not inferior to Jesus. He's not inferior to the Father. The Holy Spirit is every bit as much God as Jesus is, as everybody, as much God as the Father is. There's no less than in the Trinity. Each member of the Trinity is fully God, has all the attributes of God and power of God and glory of God within himself. There, there is no, this is a part of the Trinity, this is a part of the Trinity, this is a part of the Trinity, this is a better part of the Trinity. Each one of, of the Trinity, members of the Trinity, is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Fully God. And if you go back to the Old Testament, this has been God's plan all along. Now, ultimately, again, our future hope is we're going to have Jesus physically here. We're going to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then God the Father is going to come on earth too. That's going to be awesome. Okay? But this has been part of God's plan all along. If we go back to the Old Testament, he was always promising all along, this is what he wanted to do, Ezekiel 37, and I will put my spirit within you. That's what he was promising already back then. This is, this is what you're looking forward to. I'm going to put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. 
And another, I could take you to other places in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36 as well. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So all along, it's been God's plan to put a spirit inside of us. Now, I was just talking about Jesus, talking about it's to your advantage. I actually have that passage here. I just see it here now. John 16, later in the same talk where he says he's going to give us the spirit. Look what he says. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're sad. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He's not joking. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus will not be wrong in anything he said. He says it's to our advantage. We actually have God himself. When you accept Jesus into your life, you actually get God himself come and live in your life. You can never be alone again. You can feel like you're alone. We can walk worldly and disobedient and get completely disconnected from this truth. And many Christians do. And someday we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to look with horror back on our lives to see how pathetically we lived. When all along, he was inside of us. Last week, or two weeks ago on Easter, we looked at Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There is life and glory and power and wonder literally at our fingertips. He is not distant. He is inside of us even right now. And this is why at the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, at his death, there's the temple there in Jerusalem, and there's this huge curtain that's 60 feet high by 30 feet wide by like four inches thick. I mean, this was a beast of a curtain. And it was in the temple. You know, the temple had all these layers. There was layers. And there was the court of the Gentiles, which is where non-Jewish people could go. And then every layer you went, went in got more and more exclusive. Less and less people go in there. You had, then you had the outer courts, and that's where the, the Jewish women could go, but they couldn't go any further. And then if you went one further, that's where the Jewish men could go. And then if you went one further, you got to the court of the priests, and only the Levitical priests could go in there. And then you got to the Holy of Holies, and only you know, the Aaron's uh, uh, sons could go in there. And then you had the most Holy of Holies, which was the place where God, it was, in a, it was like the center of the temple, and this was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and this was the place where God's presence dwelt. And it was cut off from the rest of the temple by this gigantic curtain. This gigantic curtain. And the reason it was cut off was because in the Old Testament, people would die. The high priest, nobody could go into the Holy of Holies because the presence of God, the glory of God was just too much. So once a year, the high priest would go in there on the Day of Atonement, and he would offer up incense and prayers and intercession for the people of Israel for their sins. But if he went in on, there on a different day, or if he went in there and hadn't asked forgiveness for his own sins, or if he did it wrong, he would die, and nobody else could go in there. They would die. There was this curtain to keep anybody from accidentally seeing in there and being killed. Okay? And this had gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years. That was the most holy voice. That was the presence of God. Okay? Because that's where God was. He was dwelling there in the most holy of holies. But then when Jesus died, that curtain got ripped. Why did it get ripped? Matthew 27, 50 to 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, like four inches thick. That's a tearing. Like I wonder, and it was Passover. There was lots of people in the temple, lots of priests there in the inner courts. That must have freaked them out. 60 feet up yet, and then all the way down, okay? 
and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now, why did it happen? Why would, like, it just seems kind of random to our Western minds. Why would the curtain be torn in two? The reason it got torn in two is because at that moment Jesus died, the presence of God was no longer in that room. The presence of God ceased to be this thing that was in a place, in one place on the earth where only one man on one day of the year could go in there. When Jesus died on the cross, he became our high priest who intercedes before the Father for us every day, not just one day a year. And then God's glory went and came and dwelt in us. And the temple ceased to have any significance because now our bodies, well, in two senses. First, the church becomes a temple of God in a sense, in the corporate sense. And also our individual bodies become a temple of God because now God has come to dwell in us. Now think about that. This same God who in the Old Testament, if you happened to look into the Holy of Holies and you saw it, you would die because of the glory. That same God ripped the curtain in two because he came to live inside of us. It's, it's, it's shocking. But many of us live as if it's not true. But we just miss out. What a waste of a life going through our whole lives hardly knowing God and he's inside of us. Or his power at work in us. Paul just starts to in a, way, in a positive way, to freak out about this stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, do you not know that you are God's temple? Shaking. And that God's spirit dwells in you. Do you not know? Right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. The temple isn't a building anymore. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, again, many people in the West now use this verse. It's like... Um, it's all the Christian exercise people. Your, your, your body's a temple of the Lord, so don't eat chips all the time. Well, okay, amen. That's like this much of the truth. Like maybe even this much. Amen. You, you should not eat chips all the time. You know, keep it down to once a day whether you need it or not. <laughs> you should exercise and look great because your body's a temple of the Lord. That is not what this verse is about. You should exercise. It is good for you to exercise. It is good for you to eat food. Uh, oh, it is good to eat food. Amen. Um, <laughs> it's also good to eat healthy food. I'm not against that. But we've just used this verse as like, it's a health verse. This is not a health food verse. This is a verse, wow! Your body is a temple of, the, of, of God. This is not about making it look good for the beach. This is about living your whole life for God because he's inside of you. He's inside of you and me. Your body is a temple. The same God, glory of God, curtain in two, that God now inside of me right now and inside of you. If you're walking with the Lord, whom you have from God. You are not your own, you were, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So we're doing this series of God I Wish You Knew. And we're looking at these different characteristics. To me, I think this has got to be one of the best ones. God is near. I don't know what you're going through right now. Lots of things. I, I mean, I, I, I was just in, in the week, just listening to some things. I just know, personally know people in this church. I mean, the stuff people going through. Cancer, paralysis, death of loved ones, depression, grief, all kinds of things. Just massive loads. Many of you here this morning are carrying huge things. Feel like I'm the only one. How do I get through this? Let me tell you something. 
God is near. He's inside of you. He is inside of you. Hebrews 4 to 16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know why we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace? He's already near. He's right here. I can with confidence. My feelings can lie to me, but right now, I'm struggling with fear right now. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with just lost a loved one, and it's overwhelming me. Right now, I can talk to Jesus, and he's right here. The Holy Spirit is right here. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You are never, ever alone. Now, I want to look at three benefits to end this off. What are the benefits that he is inside of me and close? And we can look at hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. I mean, just three. It's almost like picking randomly. But what are the benefits? The Holy Spirit, oh, there's so many, so many, so many. But three, let's just, three, okay? First of all, he hears me and feels with me because God is inside of me and always with me. It means he hears my every cry, feels my every feeling, feels my every hurt, whether I'm plain stressed, afraid, broken, or whatever. He, whether I'm excited, he feels it all. Psalm 56, verse 8, I think this is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the Bible. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? I mean, think about that. Those restless nights when you didn't think you were going to make it through and you toss and turn on the couch because you can't sleep. And he is so close, he keeps count of your tossings. He keeps your tears in a bottle. They're so precious to him. And all of this is written in his book. Your past hurts, even your future hurts. And the thing this means is he's been with you the whole time. It's not loss. It's not for waste. All of this stuff is going to come back to you. He keeps your tears in a bottle because someday, whether in this lifetime or in the next, he's going to pour it back out onto you in blessing. He has not forgotten the things you're going through. I mean, I think a great exercise, and some of you should do this, is to go back and think through some of the low points in your life and say, Holy Spirit, where were you when I went through that low point? Because he was with you. And then let him tell you his perspective about that low point. I was with you that whole night. I was crying with you. I was feeling with you. I was with you that whole night. And those nights and weeks and months where you stayed true to him in the midst of intense pain and you didn't feel super spiritual but you just, you didn't rebel against him, every one of those nights is reward. He remembers it. And he feels it with you. Isaiah 63 verse 9, he says this about the Israelites in slavery. This is unbelievable. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. In all of their affliction, he was afflicted. He was right there with them just like he's right there with us. He was afflicted. He actually felt their pain and their cries. He felt that hurt with them. He was afflicted in their affliction. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Here's the truth. God will never put you through anything he's not willing to go through too because he's going to go through it with you. He's not going to crush you in your pain. He's not going to crush you or destroy you in the thing you're going through because he's going through it with you too. And you're not alone in it. And because he's going through all your stuff with you all the time, that means you can tell him your feelings. Because he's right there, you can talk to him all the time. You don't have to have a big spiritual experience. You don't have to wait till you get to church. You don't have to wait till worship night. You can talk to him in the middle of the night. You can talk to him in the middle of the day. And you can say, right now, Lord, I'm discouraged. And just tell him your feelings. Because he's going through it with you. 
And the more you open up your heart to him and just converse with him because he's right there, the more you increase your awareness of him and there's a heart bond that starts to connect. Just like with your wife, guys, with your wives. Do you ever talk about your feelings? I know some of you don't. I'm just looking at you and you're going, <laughs> talking about my feelings? Yeah, this is, this is me for years. Ladon, how was your day? Oh, good. Good, that was my feeling. Well, how did you, how did you feel? I feel I feel happy. Happy? That's it? Is that all you ever feel? You know, but there's something when you begin to go through stuff and with your spouse, right? You begin to share stuff like, yeah, actually, I guess I was a little embarrassed over there today. I'm really struggling with this or that. You begin to actually share feelings, actual real feelings, and because of the way God's made us, it actually starts to knit you together. The same is true with the Holy Spirit who's with you all the time. As you go through stuff, you begin to tell him, Lord, I feel no hope. I feel sinful. I feel guilty because I have no hope. But that's just what I'm feeling, and you're going through it with me. You talk to him about that. I'm going to just give it to you. And there's a heart connect. You begin, because he's right with you. He's walking it through with you, and you begin to be aware of him, and you start to put your cares on him. That's life. And this brings up a second thing there. Not only does he feel with us, he carries us. In that same verse there, Isaiah 63, 9, I'll just underline something a little bit later there. He says, he lifted them up and carried them. You know, I've thought, you know, I preached that message on the Exodus there about a month and a half ago, and, and I, I've thought lots about how did the Israelites get through that, those years and years and years of slavery? Like, how did they get through? <laughs> you know, you, you have no hope. You work every day in slavery. You're beaten. Your children are taken from you. Your children are killed. Like, how did they not all just commit suicide? Like, I, I, honestly, I, I sometimes wonder that. And even you look at things that go on around the world, how do people live? Like, it, it doesn't even shock me anymore, why do people kill themselves? In some cases, I'm more shocked by, how do they keep living when there's no hope? How do the Israelite people not just get wiped out? How did they live? Well, it says here well, how they lived. It says he lifted them up and carried them. Now, when it says he lifted them up and carried them, does that mean they got up every morning and wake up? Supernatural joy. Woo! Slavery. Whip me. Whip me some more. No. Sometimes we have this idea, God's going to carry me through, means I'm going to get supernatural feelings of happiness. That will come at times, yes. Because he's inside of you and he can give you that. But when Moses came to the Israelites, they were hopeless. They felt hopeless. They didn't believe anymore. And yet they were still alive and they survived to be rescued. So what was the proof that God carried them? Was it that they felt supernaturally happy the whole time? No. The proof that he was carrying them was that they survived to the end and then got rescued. And you know, the same is true for us. You won't always feel great every day. But the Holy Spirit promises to carry you. So that means he's inside of you. He's feeling with you. He's walking with you. And sometimes it's just, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get to the end of the day. And then you get to the end of the day. You might not have had some flashy experience with the Holy Spirit, but he just carried you through. That's the carrying. He gets you from here to here. You don't know how you made it. I've talked to people in this church, you know, 15, 20 years, they struggled with this. You know, they went through this. They had this operation. They had this for 10 years, awful pain, blah, 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 blah. And I often just, I look at some of these stories and I go, how did you live? And people, you know, well, it was kind of this and this. They throw a few things at you. In the end, we both have to sit there in the conversation and say, I guess it was the grace of God. I don't really know how I made it. I prayed a lot. I cried a lot. I freaked out a few times. 
And somehow I got to the end. What's the somehow? The somehow is Holy Spirit inside of me carried me through. He's inside of you. He will carry you. And you will get to the other side. That's good news. Lastly, we can fellowship with him throughout the day, every day. At the end of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the very last line, he finishes with this final goodbye and blessing. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The final sentence in 2 Corinthians, the letter there. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to see the Trinity here. Again, three things. He doesn't just say, hey, goodbye from God. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, speaking of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, so there we see the Trinity again. And what's the part that he connects with the Holy Spirit? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. What is that? We, we, we read over these greetings and we go, oh, that was such a nice greeting. Um, and then we just move on. Think about that. What was Paul saying to them? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's actually supposed to be something there. The Holy Spirit is now inside of me. Actually, God himself is inside of me. And because of that, I can have fellowship with him every single day. I'm not talking just about devotions. Oh, it's going to start with some Bible. You know, I mean, you're going to need some Bible. You're going to need to get the Word of God in you, and you're going to need to spend some time in prayer. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about he's with you all the time. You can have fellowship with God, the one who made the universe, God, the one who made the universe. I'm just trying to get it in your heads. God. God is inside of you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you. You can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit every day, all day long. Now, you won't go straight to 24 hours a day from wherever it is you are right now, but you can grow in it, and it's available to you. And Paul says, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But how many of us, when is the last time we acknowledged the Holy Spirit? And I'm not trying to get confusing. After a message like this, then I sometimes get people talking about, well, have I been praying to the wrong one? Like, I pray to Jesus, I pray to the Father. If, I, you know, if I'm praying to the, which one do I pray f- to? It doesn't matter. They're all God. It's three persons, one God. So it doesn't, if you pray to the Father, it's, it's good. If you pray to Jesus, it's good. If you pray to the Holy Spirit, it's, it's good. It's all good. But what I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Many of us, when is the last time we acknowledge the Holy Spirit? When's the last time we just, our brains even went there? Like, I'm on the way to a meeting. It's like, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're going to this meeting with me. What are you up to? What would you like to say to me? Could you get me through this? When's the last time you got up in the morning and just said, Holy Spirit, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I need strength. And just talk to him. You can talk to him because he's inside of you. When's the last time you went to bed and just said, thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, I got through another day. Thank you for those things you did. I mean, when's the last time, you know, you're in the middle, your kid just did something. It's like, instead of losing your marbles, okay, let's take a moment. You go sit over there for a second. Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wisdom, right? You're you're calling out to him. It just becomes the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. And you begin to have this ongoing daily fellowship with him. That is life. It's life. You're never alone. You can cast it all on him. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, God is near. He is with you. He is in you. And whether you feel it or not, it is always true. So here's my weekly challenge this week. I want to give you three things. And and we'll also put it out. Now, I know some, just take a picture of it if you can't write out that many words that fast or whatever. But 
Well, we also always send it out on email and various things, but I would challenge you to do this, and I'm going to do it with you. But cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit through conversation. Let me just give you a few practical things. And they, they might seem a little, it's like, really? And, but the thing is, this is part of cultivating it. We don't think about the Holy Spirit. We don't think about the fact that he's inside of us. So let's cultivate it. Cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit through conversation. Tell the Holy Spirit good morning each day when you get up this week. Just a simple good morning. It just begins to create an awareness. He's actually with me. He's listening to me. He's inside of me right now. I'm carrying him with me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for strength for the day and listen for anything he wants to say. Okay? I'm not even talking about your devotions here. I'm just saying, get up in the morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Before you go to bed, thank him for the day and tell him good night. Just, I mean... 20 seconds. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for today. Good night. It's just, it's just cultivating an awareness through conversation. Number two, develop sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. The, the thing is, because he's inside of you, there's many times he's prompting us and he's guiding us and he's leading us, and we're completely missing it. We're just living by the flesh, which is death. And so we miss all kinds of promptings. Many of us have just gotten hard to the promptings. What we need to do is stop and practice being sensitive. And so my encouragement to you would be every day in your devotions, think back over your previous day. Just prayerfully think back over your previous day and take a few moments and say, Holy Spirit, show me a few places where you actually prompted me with a thought to do this or to say this or to think that. Show me a few times yesterday where you prompted me with something and I totally missed it. Or, or maybe you got it. Yes, I got one. That was a prompting. And by doing this every day, you actually increase your sensitivity in the moment. He's speaking to me because he's with me. There's many times he gives a little prompting. Hey, give that person a smile. I mean, this could be small things, right? And don't feel bad when you miss it. It's about increasing our sensitivity to him because he's inside of us. And lastly, build intimacy with the Holy Spirit by sharing your heart with him. And this I would encourage you to do before bedtime is to just share with the Holy Spirit three things you felt that day. Just... Three things, good and bad, good, bad, ugly. Write them down in your journal. Don't take more than five or six minutes. If you take more than five or six minutes, you won't do it. But I would just challenge you this week. Just, just you want to build intimacy with him. You want to tell him just, and this will help even you because many of us are just so, so shut off from the things we're going through. And just say, I felt discouraged or I felt pumped when this happened or I feel so much hope about this. Just tell the Holy Spirit. It'll open up your heart and his heart and connect you together. Just do it before. You're going to increase your sensitivity towards him. You're going to increase your intimacy with him because God actually lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And you can begin to have a relationship with him right now today. And it'll change your life. It'll be an adventure where he begins to take you and what he begins to do in your life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are inside of us. All the power and glory and beauty and wonder of the Godhead and you are inside of our hearts. And so many of us just live by the flesh. We just do our own thing. We totally miss this amazing reality that we are your temple, that you are inside of us, that we can have a relationship with you throughout the day, that we're never alone, that we can talk to you about anything, that you will guide us and carry us through everything. I pray, Holy Spirit, that this week you will help us to develop a sensitivity to your little promptings throughout the day, an awareness that you are always with us. Pray that you would unleash power in our lives, carrying us, delivering us of stuff, and changing us in radical, amazing ways. I, I just think, Holy Spirit, if through this message people can connect with you a little closer this week, it'll be one of the best messages I ever pre preached. 
because it'll actually change us with you. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in my life. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. In your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.